it's like unbelievable. I was looking, you know, the, I don't trust the Forbes valuations, but I think nine teams were 1.4 billion or above. Your team was valued at 1.4 billion. I'm pretty sure you're turning down 1.4 billion. Oh, I mean, I'm turning down anything. When but, Derek um, Lively yeah. fouls out, you need anything? somewhere to go. Like, would you turn down three billion? Yeah. You turn down three billion? What do I need three billion dollars for? That's true, you love it. But this is... <laughs> I just want <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Only Mavericks podcast. I'm Tim Cato. We've got Austin Gurria, just the two of us on today's podcast. Austin, how are you on this uh, the first episode of 2024? Yeah, I would say that I'm still uh, ramping up for the new year, you know, after the holiday season. I'm not quite ready to be in the full swing of things. So we have to we'll have to keep it short and sweet today. You know, we can't get we can't get injured too early in the new year on the podcast. You're you're putting in Utah Jazz like efforts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting we're getting blown out on the first day of the year in Utah. OK, I mean, as long as you have your your Portland game quickly following that. Yeah, we're recording Thursday, uh, Thursday evening ish. Uh, the Mavericks have had some games. I think we're going to touch on those. Austin, I want to start with the stat. I think that's a I think that's the right place to go first. Just a little math. There is a four man lineup that has played 67 possessions together. And I'm going to be the first to admit, you really, I really should not be citing per 100 possession stats when they have not even played 100 possessions together. But I can't help it in this instance. There's four players. And when they're on the court together in 67 possessions, the team's offense is 143 points per 100 possessions or 143 offensive rating. The team's defensive rating, 103. That is a plus 40 net rating. It is very much a rating that is dictated by how infrequently they've played together. But I think this is kind of the story of the Mavericks. Can you guess this four-man lineup? I'm going to go, I, I'm, I'm kind of cheating because I have an idea who the three are, and I'm going to add the fourth person. So I'm going to guess the three at least is Luka Kyrie and Exum because I recently wrote about this, and they had a crazy net rating. And then I'm going to guess the other, the fourth is probably Derek Lively. You, you went for the hard version of this because like Lively would be a pretty easy shoe in because he's played a lot of minutes, but it's a small stat. Yes, it's, it's those four. It is those four players. They have only played in three variations of an actual five man lineup. They've only played with three other players kind of slotting in as the fifth guy. They've barely played together. And in two of the games that they played together were, you know, big blowouts. One of them was a blowout against uh, Portland. Um, you know, there was a very brief example of of, of this lineup uh, the other night against Utah, but then Exum got hurt and, and you know, you barely saw it. But, you know, they weren't great in that game. And, and those first two games they played together kind of carried them. But I, I want to start here because I think this four-man unit is, you know, we haven't seen it yet. And I think the team ceiling, whatever the team ceiling is, we've learned a lot about the team's floor. We've learned a lot about, even though the record right now is very similar to where it was last year, and we know how last year ended. I think we've learned that the team's floor is much higher than that. The question is, what is the team's ceiling when we actually see this four-man unit on the on the court together 
And do you agree that like this is kind of the biggest question? It's just it, it, have they found something in these four guys? Are we going to see something different that we haven't seen from this team all season? In these four guys actually playing together just by the way that they complement and supplement each other, you know, their strengths and and weaknesses. What's going to happen? Yeah, I think if any, I think their biggest success of the first two months of the season is that they've discovered who their four best players are, and that's Luca Kyrie, Exum, and Lively. Now, unfortunately, they haven't played a lot together, you know, just because Kyrie was out so many minutes last year or so many games last month after Exum kind of got into the starting lineup and, and started getting more production. But I think that'll be kind of before the trade deadline, seeing that's going to be the biggest thing for this team is seeing how good that lineup is and what their ceiling is and kind of how who fits the best with that lineup, whether it's Grant Williams or or Derek Jones Jr. or even if Maxi ever uh, is resurrected from the dead if if he can play in that lineup. Um, I think that line. Everybody's gonna... joking. Like, wait, did his toe get amputated? I, I think. I think the the answer is that it did, and now they're trying to reattach it. You know, they realized it was a mistake. They he might have came back, back faster had it got amputated. <laughs> have you seen Poor Things yet? I have not. Not yet. Oh man, they gotta get the doctor from that movie. I won't say anything else. But um, <laughs> great movie. But yeah, I think that that lineup and. Hopefully, Exum can get back here from the contagious heel contusions that are going around this team, and they can figure out how how good that lineup is. Because I think you said they they only played sixty seven possessions, but in theory, the lineup makes a lot of sense. They have three guards who can all play make, who can all create. Exum is a pretty good point of attack defender. Derek Lively is the only reason this team has a competent defense on the back line and as a rebounder and as a rim roller. And you know, I think. It's kind of it's very similar to the uh, the Luca Brunson Dinwiddie lineups that they played a lot going in the conference finals that gave them so much ball handling and optionality uh, in those lineups. And I think I think Jason Kidd see how much he can play that lineup before the trade line line. They try to get a fifth starter. Luca and Kyrie are the best. So Kyrie is the best player Luca has ever played with. Um. Because when he played with Brunson, Brunson was not New York Brunson. Maybe he wouldn't be New York Brunson. But I, I think Kyrie is the best player Luca has directly played with. Yeah, yeah. You can quibble with that, but I, I think that's I think that's true. Are Lively and Exum the best two two way players that Luca has ever played with? That's a really yeah. hard one to answer because two way means whatever you want it to mean, and you could certainly argue Dorian Finney Smith is that. You can certainly argue a lot of players are that. I would but say in terms of like dynamic offensive players, and it's crazy. It's crazy every time we say it, but I think Lively really is a pretty dynamic offensive player at this point. Um, I think there's an argument. I would say that uh, Porzingis in 2020 was definitively better on on both sides, but. It's it's a good argument, and then I guess I mean or, role players, you know, like yeah. yeah, I would agree with you on Porzingis, but it, it's hard for him, it's hard for me to loop him in in the same way when I'm already kind of pairing Kyrie as this the, yeah. the second guy. I mean, guy, right? If you really think about it, Luka just hasn't played with that many talented defensive players. I mean, outside of Dorian, there's really not anybody else that was a really solid defensive player and also contributed on offense and was cons- and consistently played that Luka's played next to. And, and real quick to your to your Porzingis point, you know, he's playing the best basketball of his career as like the fourth option. You know, yeah. that, that that was the whole thing. He was just miscast. He's playing better, but he was he was miscast. Like he still would absolutely fit in Dallas. He just didn't fit as the second guy. And I'm not sure there's any undoing that 
you know, once he was kind of anointed as that, right? Yeah, and I think it's it's I I've never really thought about it that way, but yeah, Exim and Lively are two of the best two way role players Luca has has played with thus far in his career, which is really saying something because one guy was playing in Europe last year and the other guy was playing at Duke. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I I would say like it'd be those two and Dorian. I'll give Dorian the edge because he did it through three rounds in the playoffs and. Right. I would still need to see Exum do that. It's still, still, it's a kind of a smaller sample size for Exum, um, and even for Lively, at that matter. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely two of the top three, right? Yeah, it's. I, I think, I, I think Dorian Finney Smith would be the ideal fifth starter for this group. Yeah, and then and then if you frame it like that, it's less about like, oh, let's debate the merits or like try to rank one ahead of the other. It's more like they needed Exum's skill set two-way skill set in this lineup. They've needed a point of attack guy to that level. Um, you know, they've needed a, a player like Lively. And then when you have a fifth starter whose offensive game is has some limitations, like like Dorian Finney-Smith, he's just, you know, not the dynamic off-dribble guy. Obviously a very good, has turned into a very good uh, spot-up shooter. That fits. And, you know, that's basically what they're doing in, in uh, Derek, uh, Derek Jones Jr., um, you know, who, you know, certainly I think he, he remains the fifth starter, um, you know, in this role, but, but that's why I'm focusing on these four guys. Just, you know, it's a, I, I just want to see what they have in this. And, and I think that if Dallas has any chance to punch over their weight and, you know, show us something that they have so far, not, you know, like this team still hasn't beat, beaten a, a top three seed in either conference, right? This is yeah. not a team that, has shown anything, you know, anything remotely similar to to what they did a couple of years ago, which preceded their conference finals run. You know, it, it might have been a surprise that that they made it to the conference finals, at least, you know, to the national expectations of what that team was going to be. But that team did show some stuff that was, you know, did not make it as surprising as as we thought it, you know, as as many thought it was. Uh, this team has not shown anything of that like. Um, I, I think that their record is, you know, they can they can be, I believe, 21 and, and 15. And at this time last year, you know, if they beat Portland on Friday, they'll be 21 and 15. On January 5th um, of last year, they were 22 and 17. Very similar records. Um, but I think we know the floor is higher. It's just we don't know how good this team can be or, or if they're just going to be, you know, a sixth team that beats the teams they need to and, and loses uh, to to more talented ones, I, I think their one chance of, you know, moving past that label is is whether they really have something, you know, with the new look starting lineup and and where it goes from here. Yeah, and I think now they have this big homestand at where against a couple of pretty pretty good teams coming in here, and I think that's really going to kind of define how the, their season goes moving forward, especially especially if they can get Exum back in the next maybe game or two and really have a long stretch where they well, play lively too now. Oh yeah, and lively too. Man, playing Portland is really just <laughs> detrimental to this team. Fortunately, I think Lively is, is listed as questionable for tomorrow, so she definitely probably be back by at least Sunday. Um, but it's I think it's it's a big stretch for this team to see who who they want to acquire at the trade deadline. Because I I do think this team will be making a trade. They have probably one too many players and just need to consolidate a little bit just to make the roster a little more cohesive. And they haven't gotten to have a full stretch where they've played their five best players. And I think that's really going to be the the biggest focal point of the homestand. 
No, yeah. So that's the other thing about this. Like, I, I think that we've been, you know, the Exum Renaissance began a month ago, maybe a bit more than a month ago. That's when everybody really started paying attention to what uh, Exum was doing. And, you know, he went from rotation, you know, like a, like he wasn't a rotation player to start the year. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. He was barely, he would play some games. He was kind of like Seth Curry. He would play some games and then some games he'd just vanish. Yeah, that's what I thought he was going to be too when when yeah. they signed him. You know, that was the expectation. It was a reasonable expectation. You know, just based off his career, based off what where he'd been. Then he moves into the rotation. Um, he he starts a couple games when Grant Williams is out. Um, Grant Williams comes back, but Kyrie Irving gets injured. That's when he goes into the starting lineup. That's when it becomes indispensable. Um, and then, you know, as soon as Irving comes back, as soon as Lively comes back, all of a sudden Exum is out again. So. We've had an idea. We've had a curiosity about what this looks like. We just haven't had, you know, the, the the minutes to actually see it. It's come with some better defense. I've like, what have you? One thing I've seen about the defense, which I think is worth talking about, you know, kind of in this context, but just, you know, like this is a team that I, I think is really doubling down on on trying to uh, commit turnovers. Um, you know, when they got blown up at Utah over the weekend on on New Year's Day, I, I think a lot of you know a lot was made of of them giving up a lot of points off off cuts. And, you know, I've had people tell me it's like, yeah, that's the, the correlation between trying to force turnovers and giving up a lot of points on on backdoors and, you know, on, on defensive situations like that. You know, there there is a correlation between those two. And when you play it, you know, at 90 percent effort like they did against Utah and, you know, it might look bad in, in, in the same way. And so but the defense is better. I mean, I've got stats here if you want it. Um Let's do it. Yeah, I've seen a few stats about how how much they've improved over the last month. Let's let's hear them. So on the season as a whole, nineteenth best defense um, over the last two weeks, they've been at one thirteen, one hundred and thirteen points per hundred possessions, which is sixth in the league. Damn, we we know who they've played, so true. Don't get too carried away, but <laughs> it also pretty much coincided with Lively coming back, and so I, I don't think that's a big surprise. The biggest, uh, the biggest markers that have really noticeably, um, you know, changed, especially from where they were last year. So opponent free throw rate. You remember last season they couldn't stop anybody. Yeah, and, and they were just foul. constant. Yeah, and, you know, fouling essentially is a admission that, oops, just let my man beat me again. Yeah. You know? So they're sixth in opponent free throw rate this year. They're twenty seventh last year. Wow. Yeah. That's that's hard to have a low opponent free throw rate and also cause turnovers at the same time. That's pretty it's yeah. pretty difficult to do both. And this this one this one will not surprise you. Um the player with the biggest swing based off when he's on the court, uh, as it affects the uh you know, the, the free throw rate, Derek Lively. He's it's one it's man like defense. Eight percent. It's eight percent lower when he's on the court. Um you know, cleaning the glass ranks that as a 99 percentile. I, I believe that means like league wide, you're not going to yeah. find a bigger gap um, when he's on the court with any other roster in the league. There is no player that affects, you know, again, a niche stat, but I think a stat that represents something bigger than what it actually means. Yeah, there's no player who represents a bigger swing to their team when they're on the court to opposing for their rate. The other one, which I mentioned, is is the the turnover percentage. And last season, they're at 22. This year, they're up to nine. Top 10 in forcing turnovers, which is not something that 
really at any point during yeah, the Luka never era, this team has yeah. been known for. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think of who was even good, you know, at, at, at ever doing this, you know, <laughs> I don't think Curry any Maverick and... team has ever really been good at forcing turnovers. Yes. Yeah, every, yeah. Every time, you know, like Carl, I'll take an ever chance he got to be like Seth Curry. You can really get some steals, which you can. <laughs> I mean, he's good at defense, but he is pretty good at getting steals. And, you know, if this team just doesn't quite have the top end talent, defensive talent to be a top 10 unit, which I don't believe they do. Uh, one way to sort of overcome that is, is just force more turnovers. And, you know, that bleeds right into this whole, um, you know, pace and, and faster tempo thing that they've been preaching all year. Yeah. And I think it's kind of similar to their strategy. I mean, it's an opposite strategy, but it, I think the, the mathematical strategy is similar to what they did during 2022 in their conference finals run. And with that team, they, they were really low possession and they didn't turn the ball over because they knew they couldn't, they didn't have a rebounding advantage. And so they tried to just suppress the turnovers and suppress the possession so that they could win that possession battle and then shoot more threes than the other team. And I think this year, because they have more athleticism, they have more, a little more dynamism on both sides. They're trying to increase, they're increasing their pace while keeping their turnovers. I think they're still number one in turnover rate. And then also turn the other team over at a higher rate. And so they're just getting more possessions throughout the game. And that's, and that's how they're trying to, you know, um, help their rebound deficit because they're, they're still not a good rebounding team. And so if you get more turnovers, you don't have to get rebounds if you're getting turnovers. I think it's yeah, essentially their, their strategy here on possessions. Yeah, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think I looked it up uh, earlier today. They're, they're worse at offensive rebounding. They're allowing more <laughs> they're offensive worse? rebounds than they were last season. Yeah. But no, I, I follow it. It took me a second because you're like, yeah, this team is similar to the conference finals team because uh, the conference finals team was slow and this one's fast. <laughs> and I'm like, where are we going with this exactly? But no, I think you're right. You know, I, I think if you turn a team over more often, if you can maintain, you know, that that is a it's really good. Live ball turnovers, forcing live ball turnovers is really good. It's really and good. That, and that, you know, it, it gives you some because they're better at running, it gives you some free possessions. It, it gives you some more uh, room to work with defensively. If if you can, you know, qu- as you said, quite literally, you are reducing the amount of shots that they get off because they're probably going to still hit those shots against you at a higher percentage. So it's a little, little bit of a gamble, you know, it's their, and, and the cheat you, code of having a low turnover rate is that they can take those kind of risks and try to just win the possession game because there's also they're so efficient on offense. If they if they can win the possession game, they can win most games. So let's say this this uh this four man lineup we've been talking about. Um let's say they're as good as we think they possibly can be. Um how are you playing around or or like how do you see the options of, of who you can kind of put as the the fifth starter? I, I think we can all assume that. You know, Derek Jones Jr. is is pretty solidified as a as a very, uh, you know, he he makes sense. He makes sense as the fifth guy. He makes sense as the fifth starter. But I, I do think this team has options. You know, they 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 have things they can play around with. Like you you mentioned a big one, which is which is Maxi uh, Kleba. If 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 when he comes back, that you know that does give you a different look, um, a unique look. I think uh, from from what the team's been doing so far. And I think the thing about Maxi is that if he's playing that role, he goes back to his initial role where he just gets to play the four and gets to be a weak side shot blocker and is not the entire rim protection for the team. And he 
there's less pressure on him to do everything on the back line. And he's more additive as just kind of like a weak side rim protector. Because I think another big issue with their team is that when Lively rotates, when he has to extend out to the three-point line and other players rotate behind him at the rim, it's a layup because no one else at the no one else is a deterrent at the rim or even a like reputable shot blocker. I think they're really missing a secondary rim protector that can help when Lively has to rotate to other places on the court. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how if Maxi is healthy enough, if he can move well enough to still kind of play that initial role he played when he when he first came here back in 2018. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of teams rotate Luca into direct ball actions. They try to get him switched on to the man or they try to get him, you know, to to show and recover whatever the the, the team's defensive scheme is at, at the time. I've had some scouts tell me that there are teams that try to get Luca as the low man. So he's the one having to rotate over and challenge at the rim. Yeah. And that, they're trying to get him to do that for a reason. He's been better a good defensively. Strategy. Yeah. He's better defensively this year. All that said... He is still someone who is often not going to nail that exact rotation, especially if it leaves him, you know, trying to use verticality at the rim. I'm trying to think of the number of times I've ever seen Luca try to be like vertical. Like he will not a, challenge you at the rim. They, they, no. that's a great strategy because he is, uh, he, he's very sheepish. Once, once, if someone's going to the rim, he's not challenging. He's not getting, he likes to talk about a lot about his steals, but he probably needs to get his blocks up. Because he can do it. He's big and he's like, if he if he goes up with his hands straight up and he's still strong, like he could be not a good rubber, but like just like at least in the way. But a lot of times he doesn't challenge guys. Also, because I don't think he wants to get fouls, but he's not gonna challenge you if he's there. And I think that's that's actually the way to attack Lucas is, is make him the low man because he's a he's a pretty decent one-on-one defender now. He he can get down and guard when he really wants to, but if you consistently have to uh, make him rotate and defend the room. He's he's just not doing that. I'm debating how long it would take for me to look up how many charges Luca has ever. Luca is the worst day. charge taker in all of basketball. This is my this is oh, my he's very bad. Game. He's so bad. I've never seen. Boy, stop trying. <laughs> it's not even that he doesn't try. He has the worst technique of anyone trying to take a charge that I've ever seen in basketball. Like he will just like try to take a charge at like the halfway line, like. There used to be like a That's feature true. in 2K where you could just like try to take a charge anywhere on the court and he just tries to do it like everywhere. He's an atrocious charge taker. The 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 anti Tim Hardaway. Yeah, I was gonna say, like he has a he has someone who can teach him how to do one on his team. Yeah. And he played with Jalen Brunson. He was also you know, really good at it. He's you I think you were probably aware of this, but I, I want to make sure everybody knows that that Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway Jr. are in a heated race. For the charge leader this season, heated, he's neck good. and neck right now. They should get some There's sort of trophy. Maybe. Charge I'm trying to. I'm trying back. to think. It, I think. I think you would get like a uh, just like an ice pack. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like a. It would be like a. It would be a trophy, but it'd be shaped <laughs> like an ice pack, like a or maybe maybe a heating pad. You know, it's just it's just a big ice tub. I don't see why not. Um, it was that or either like a trophy runs into you and they, like like you go on the podium and they just throw a trophy at you <laughs> and you've got to you got to sit there and, and and take the charge. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I think I don't the NBA think needs to give us a call. I think, I, I think I think we have a great idea for the award show. Luca is at uh, one charge taken this season somehow. He has one. Wow. 
I, I can't believe he has one. Yeah, I can't sure believe he has right. one. I mean, he might have one. In, that might have been the first in his career. I would. I would I take bet, this back. I take this back. I, I was on a. I was on a per game average, and I just turned it into totals. And I, I did the math wrong. He has he, three somehow. He has three. I was gonna say. I would bet that he has less than five in his whole career. I wonder how many of these. I wonder how, like stat keepers, how do they delineate between an elbow to the face? Is like, are they consistently always making sure to put that as an offensive foul? Because that's not a charge drawn, but I could see how sometimes that could be graded differently. Sounds like you have a new article on your hands, a new feature. For the three people who <laughs> find this vaguely interesting. I'm not even sure I find this interesting enough to write about it. Much less have like several conversations about it. Yeah. You never know. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? I feel like we mostly exhausted everything we needed to talk about that lineup. Uh, anything from the games that you saw? Anything that sticks out to you? The Warriors game, I thought was a pretty good, pretty good sign of how this team can get right and, and, and play well. I mean, I think they really just they need to play with their guys. Like, I think it's really hard to make sweeping uh, observations about this team. I'm very glad that Kyrie's back and Luca no longer has to play 45 minutes a game in insane ways. He was very good, but that was just he was going to tire out eventually. Um, I, I think they're in a weird spot right now because, again, we just haven't seen their four best players play together consistently. But I think what you mentioned with their defense, I think they're starting to find ways to at least have some sort of a defensive identity and become middle of the pack on defense. And it'll be interesting to see how, if they can boost their offense. I think their offense has kind of fallen off a little bit since Kyrie has been out. And if they can get it back has. to being a in lineups without Luka offense. and Kyrie, it's, it's like 106 points per hundred possessions. Yikes. Oof. Yeah. And they've had to play quite a few of those lineups, you know, as Kyrie has missed. Yeah, so I, I think that that'll be a. It was good to see Kyrie get back on track with twenty nine points last night and look like Kyrie Irving. I think I, again, it was they were going to see him play. It's a, they got a big homestand. You'll get to see them a lot over the next two weeks. I think they'll give us a lot to talk about. They could they get to see if they play the Wolves again. They play Jalen Brunson comes to town next week. Uh, they're playing the Pelicans, Lakers. There's, they've got some really good, fun games that should should really have a good idea of what this team looks like in the next at the end of the next two weeks. Boston comes in on January 22nd. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Porzingis coming back to town. Has he been back? Has he played here in? Yeah. I thought he was hurt both times he came here. <sighs> Shoot. You might be right. I don't know if he's, he's actually been here. I've yeah, seen he's him. Been here. Like, yeah. I've seen him in the building. I've had conversations with him. Um, I don't think... Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think he has played. I don't think he has played. So, I mean, I remember him walking by Mark. Um, (laughs) I was talking to Mark about something. I was debating whether I should tell this, but I, I, you know, you should tell it. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I was literally going through my head and I was like, okay, what's the story again? Yeah, fuck it. I'll tell it. You know, Mark's not even the majority owner anymore. What is he going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm talking about Mark. I'm talking to Mark about something else after a game. Uh, I believe Dallas had played Washington. Might have been a referee controversy, something like that. But I'm talking to Mark Cuban, and our conversation's wrapping up. It's right outside the Mavs locker room. Chris Porzingis 
had not played, but he's walking down and he's going to walk past the Mavs locker room and walk past us. We're having this conversation. And I noticed him coming and I think Mark does too. And Mark, my perception is that he might've been trying to duck back in the locker room and, but then they kind of made eye contact and, you know, KP's like, what's up, man. And, uh, and Mark's like, you know, yeah, how you been? How you been? You know, they dap up and, and, and then, uh, and it's a quick, it's a quick interaction. And then KP keeps, keeps walking. And then he kind of turns around and he's like, you making any, uh, deadline moves this year? Just looks at Mark and says that. And so good. I don't, I, I don't even remember Mark. I don't think he replied at all. Um, it's a great moment. It was a great moment. I forget that yeah. KP did not think he was going to get traded. <laughs> no, no, no. People, a lot of people saying that was a mistake. And and I know we, especially because we touched on this just a second ago. I really don't think Boston KP, the player that he's he's become with the Celtics, I don't think that was obtainable in Dallas. I I, I don't think that. I think the Washington stint and the reintroduction to a serious winning team um, and being reintroduced properly into its hierarchy, you know, as the the third or fourth option, somebody led them in scoring, you know, like in that game against the thunder, like he's doing very well, but he is not, you know, he's not, he's just not billed as a second star. I, I think that, I think he needed that series of events and, and stops in his career series of, of things to happen to him in his career to get to the point that he is now. Yeah, I mean, well, he was one of the worst post-up players in basketball when he was here, and now he's the absolute best one. So that's really, that's honestly the the major difference. That How much Boston have you watched? He's like really, it's really impressive, but he's doing it, I mean, you're 100% right. Like he's doing it in ways that, you know, we always used to say that his center of gravity was like, you know, whereas Adam's apple was. And he just that's grabs not totally and different. Yeah. yeah, he just shoots over people a lot more, but he also has a good way of like kind of pivoting into space. Yeah, he's he become he just became a better post-up player. That's really if he was this post-up player in Dallas, they would not have traded him. Also, he's playing basketball games. If he had played this many games and he was this efficient in the post and played this way, he would still be here. Like he, he's a good player. He's honestly his av- if you look at his averages, they're almost identical to what they were here. It's like 20 and 7. He's just a little more efficient now. And and he's healthy and he's just a little more mature and Luke is a little more mature now. I think it just, it just it it it's really nobody's fault. I don't think the KP thing is really just like anybody's direct fault. And I think the trade the trade was a good trade. They went to the conference finals. Like it was unequivocally they got results from that trade. But he's just a different player now. And there's no way to have known if he was that he was going to be healthy if he stayed here or he was going to learn how to play in that way if they kept him here. Was, yeah, I definitely they would not have gone to the conference finals if they had not made the trade. No. Um some of that is just Porzingis wasn't this player then, like even health-wise, especially health-wise. He was, you know, I, I don't think that we saw him moving like like he is now. Spencer Dinwiddie was obviously very important. And then that trade, you know, more or less led them to Kyrie Irving. So Yeah, so it's so it's been a rehash. We'll get to rehash it again two weeks from now. <laughs> when he yes, comes to town alright let's get out of here uh, appreciate you hopping on listeners thanks for listening and we'll see you next week hey how's it going what what do you mean dozens you sound insane 
No, you're confused. Have you heard the song? Yeah, this is the only Mavericks podcast to exist ever. This is the only Mavericks podcast.